Welcome to Tricks of the Rich, the cure for financial FOMO. That's the fear of missing out on what all the rich people seem to know that no one ever told the rest of us. We've heard that rich people know how to make money work for them. Were we absent the day they taught that? We're still working for money. But we've decided to do what the rich do. Assemble a team of expensive experts and advisors to do the hard work for us. They'll be our guests and we're going to pick their brains every week and learn the tricks of the rich so we have a chance to get rich too, if we so choose. We weren't born with membership in the Rich Person Club, so we're going to crash it. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everybody. Our last show ran pretty long and we didn't want to lose you, so I pulled our usual Q&A segment out and made this extra short little show out of it instead. Tiffany asked Joel one question and we ended up talking about trusts and real estate, the stock market, credit card debt, and a cute story about a little kid who bought Marvel stock because he loved Spider-Man when they were almost bankrupt and how that turned out for him. (laughs) So we didn't want you to miss it. So here it is. Thanks again and always for listening. So Joel, I have a question for you because I get this a lot. Why should you put a house in a trust? Well, we were talking a little earlier about, you know, your four-year-old daughter. So if you don't want her having a lot of parties, that that could be one reason. <laughs> but the bigger reason, and it's kind of part of that, is, is it gives you a lot more control over the asset, especially if you were to get sick or die. So control is one of the issues. Another issue is, is if you get sick or die, we don't want that house to go through probate or have to be as part of a conservatorship. And that saves a significant amount of time and money um, for your family. So if you like your family, we want to keep them out of court. But there's a couple of other reasons that, that people aren't as aware of. I mean, there's a huge checklist of the benefits of having your house in a trust. Um, one is a newer benefit that uh, I was really kind of surprised that the governor signed. And that is, is that trust assets are now exempt from Medi-Cal liens. So I have folks who have a modest estate. Their home is a protected asset from Medi-Cal. The state currently pays $10,250 a month for your nursing home, plus their other health benefits. You might accrue a huge bill. And if you have to go through probate when you die, the state becomes the priority creditor before your heirs. But now, under a new law, if your house is in a living trust and avoids probate, no Medi-Cal liens. Wow. So, again, quickly say what a lien is. That means Medi-Cal gets to take their money out of your money. Correct. If you're you're basically on the dole for the government, whether for medical and especially for a nursing home, when you die, then your estate has to pay them back. The way to avoid that is having your real estate in a trust. I am really surprised that our governor did that because when the governor always wants Medical yeah. to get <laughs> people's money. Maybe right. he forgot what he was saying. It's, it's excellent. <laughs> oh, see, that's a trick of the rich yeah. to know that and yep. to make sure you've covered yourself by having the trust so that keeps people out of your pocket. That is what rich well, people do. Well, also keeps people out of your heirs' pockets. Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of folks come and say, okay, if I have a living trust now, I don't have to pay my bills, right? They don't say it that way because that sounds idiotic. What they think is, is if I get sued, now they can't come after me. That's not true. Mm. A trust is your own asset. You can use it whenever you want, but it's not the asset of your children or other heirs. So you can protect your heirs from their creditors, from their spouses, even most of it from bankruptcy. So it's very important for your heirs to protect them. 
So tell me, though, this is just probably for my own sadistic glee, but tell me the worst trust fund baby gone wrong story you can. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> like, I had some friends who was like, oh, you know, I have mailbox money. You know, like, it's like that, that they live on mailbox money. Money just shows oh. up out of their oh trust. When I was in college, it's like, oh, you yeah. know, my check got here from the trust. And those trust fund babies, I was always so jealous. But oh, I'm sure there's going to be a chapter some... of my book. I'll, I'll give you three oh, quick ones at different amounts. <laughs> How about the uh, college student who bought a Ferrari on Saturday, crashed it on Sunday, and bought a new one. So that was on <laughs> over $300,000 gone in the weekend. Wow. Um, how about the huh. the heir of $100 million who invested it all in a real estate scheme and lost it all oh because he didn't understand you know, how money works? Or the brother and sister that each got a small inheritance, $100,000 each, and a month later they came back to my office with an ambulance bill for $1,200, $1,300, and they said, what do we do with this bill? And I said, well, you each got half the money. You should each pay half. And they looked at me and said, well, we can't afford it. And, and these are older people. The money is and I gone. said, well, where's the money? Uh, and the daughter said, I spent it. And the son said, I made bad investments. What kind of investment can you make, Clay, that's so bad <laughs> that you would lose $100,000 in they're four weeks? Believe me, they're yeah, out there. But it just goes wow. to show, too, sometimes people that come from money aren't the most educated with money. They don't have to be because yeah. they have, you know, maybe they have yeah. teams we have, running it. Or We have a term for those folks. We call it affluenza mm-hmm. <laughs> and part of the problem is it's your fault that they yeah. have this problem because you didn't set up your estate plan so people who have no clue what to do with money couldn't go out and blow it could you could you say in your will uh, my ne'er-do-well grandson can get money from this trust after he gets his MBA. <laughs> like after yeah. he educates himself well enough to... You can say whatever you want, right? I mean, you right. can set that standard. So, yes, the way we often do it is, is we say this grandson gets his money when he's 40 or gets a four-year college degree or a graduate degree. So you can have goals and incentives in the estate plan. I, did, I had a friend who, at, um, when I lived in Santa Barbara who was on his 12th year at UCSB because oh the trust said, you know, we will pay for him through college. And oh, my he gosh. Took, I, I think he's probably still there. He's on his 27th year of his four-year yeah. UCSB yeah. degree. That one might be a little harder to plan around. All right, one more point I want to hit. So some of the main benefits of putting a property in a trust is control, asset protection for your heirs, protecting yourself from nursing home expenses, eliminating probate, but there's a secret that a lot of people aren't aware of, and it's the benefit of living in California, which is a community property state. If you have your assets in a living trust in California, and you say they're community property with your spouse, when the first person dies, you get a 100 step 100% step up in the cost basis of your assets hmm. what that means the cost basis is what you paid for something so if you have a rental property you paid $100,000 for that's the cost basis if you sell it for a million dollars you're going to pay a $900,000 capital gains tax if you've depreciated it written it off every year like you can when you invest in real estate your cost basis may be zero if you have your assets in the living trust, the first spouse dies, the cost basis is reset on all of your assets, and in English, this means you may resell them now at no tax. 
Wait, it's reset wow. to current market it's value? It's reset wow. to current market value. So that means there is no capital gains tax after the first death. Or if you have a rental, you can depreciate it from scratch. What wow, how many people have killed their spouses? <laughs> Well, I have recommended not killing the spouse, but I have people who say, you know, my spouse is very sick. I want to sell my property for whatever reason, often to pay the expenses. And that's usually the biggest mistake you can make. Never do that without talking to a professional or a psychiatrist. That is an incredibly (laughs) good tip. So here's what people do. Here's the mistake people make. The mistakes of the poor, we can call it. <laughs> they use joint tenancy instead and say, well, you know, when I die, my wife's going to get everything and then she can do the trust. Now, there's a lot of oopses involved there. The first oops is you don't get a 100% step up in basis because you're only inheriting half. So your step up on your stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and real estate will be 50% instead of 100%. And in my experience, a surviving spouse does not always have the capacity at that time to set up the proper estate plan. So procrastinating doesn't work. Do you think, like, this is a very cynical question to ask, but it seems like those laws that give such incredible advantages to people who know money... I mean, it just it, it clearly favors rich people or people who understand these things. I mean, these are advantages that like people just don't know they can have because it's it's almost like if you're going to have to pay inheritance tax or something like you've if if you have a couple, one has died, you kind of make up, make it up right there, right. and then you end well, up having to pay so it later when the second dies. But like it's it, it, this isn't just for this isn't for the rich, Jen. This is for the smart. The yeah. people who ask the questions. It's very simple planning to come in, have a free consultation with me, and I will solve so many problems, including that one. Hmm. Right. So it's not it's not necessarily this is a this is a right of the rich, as Joel points out. It's simply having the frame of mind to ask a professional for help. Or Which work is with to people me like the, me who's yeah. now going to write that as a list and provide it to my buyers. Like this is why you need to put your house in a trust. Mm-hmm. It's right here. We can copy that. Oh, I will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So I guess so. It's like it's like the the laws don't necessarily they, they favor people who do their homework and do the right things. But a lot of people, I think, they just would never know because they haven't been around people who are savvy enough about money and these kinds of things to, to know it exists. So, sure. like, have the conversation yeah. with someone who can say, like, these things, like, you you might never, you're not going right. to stumble across it in your, you know, in your play well, Fortnite. The other thing is about, I mean, which Joel's touching on, which I think is often overlooked when we're talking about investment strategies for the rich, which is, and, and this really falls in Joel's domain, it falls in my domain as a financial advisor, and it falls in the domain of a CPA, which is tax planning. Tax planning, when you have wealth and when you're growing your wealth, your approach to taxes or trying to legally avoid paying those taxes is so critical. Mm-hmm. So well, critical. I mean, if it's 30% yeah. of your income, like whatever you can, I mean, that, that's like getting a raise if you can avoid it. it. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. So, yeah. Jen, in my world, we're dealing with estate taxes, capital gains taxes, and gift taxes. These taxes are optional. If you do your planning, we can eliminate them. If you procrastinate, you can lose a huge amount of your estate to taxes. So that's one of the other tips of the Rich 101. You do your tax planning so you don't lose 
a portion of your estate to the government. Right. So do I need a tax accountant for that, or you can cover me on that end too? Well, I my, my view is that you, you certainly need, if you're building your wealth, you should have a tax expert to help guide you. Joel, I would, I would imagine Joel's going to give guidance on a bunch of um, tax strategies that will benefit you in your estate plan, but your financial advisor, your financial um, partner will also guide you in a whole host of other things. Um, you know, about retirement strategies and how can I avoid paying taxes from some of my income on a, on a, pre, on a qualified basis. In other words, how, if I'm an independent operator, how do I put money into my retirement account today where I'm not going to pay taxes on that? Um, so to answer your question, there is a whole host of ways to avoid paying taxes, from estate planning to retirement planning to investing um, to uh, pre-qualified uh, uh, strategies um, well, like what that is people the should think about. What is the threshold of anyone, if you have income, don't really have investments, like when should they start that conversation with you? Immediately. You know, one of the things that I've been talk I've been talking to a lot of folks about lately is just simple budgeting, right? So I unfortunately have people who are looking for jobs. Uh, they may have been furloughed. Um, some are clients who are, as I say, in between jobs. What should they be doing now? You know, this is we're talking about topical questions today. And one of those one of those um, one of the responses that I often talk to them about is let's look at the environment today. Okay, let's if looking for a job and networking and trying to get your next um, uh, position is great. But what can you do now as you look at your financial situation that's going to benefit you not only today but in the long term? And there's a whole host of things that you can do depending on your situation. Um, one of the things that benefits I think is all at this table today is low rates. Rates are so low. Uh And talking about what the rich do, the rich, one of the fundamental premises that all rich people subscribe to is OPM, other people's money, (laughs) okay? I'm going to borrow money from you and I'm going to invest that money and make more money, okay? Mm -hmm. That's classic 101 let's get rich okay Mm -hmm. and you can do it successfully and there are ponzi schemes where you can be taken advantage of and all this but when money is cheap but when money is to make money you know it's it's the it's the it's the drive to zero um not to get too technical but rates have gone down we all know that um rates which are determined largely by the federal reserve and u.s treasury uh securities um, are as low as they've been in decades, in decades. And so smart people are taking advantage of that. Now okay? tell me, d- d- this, is, this is a layman's application of that. That to me says, if my parents own their condo outright, I'd get a mortgage on it if they can get, you know, if they can get a mortgage at 3.2%, but they have, and they can, they can make 8% on 100%. it. 100%. I think they should do it. Conversation. I have two clients right now. They've been very fortunate to own California real estate for 20 years. They have literally millions of dollars in their property and they've got very little money in the retirement plan. So they are, if you look at their financial profile, they are house rich mm-hmm. and they are probably not up to speed where they need to be in other areas of their financial plan in terms of their wealth accumulation. So to your point, how do I take money out of my house mm-hmm. 
How do I take advantage of those low rates? How do I reinvest that money and make money on my money? And okay. as long as you're, as long as... And there are various options you can choose. As long as you're borrowing it at a lower number than you're getting return on it, you're ahead. And, and that's it, how money makes money. So well, and then here, here again is where taxes come in. It was... Oh, very good, and, yes. You know, it was at one point in time, you could take a home equity loan and write off the interest on that. Well, that's no longer the case. Um, unless you're redeploying that money and fixing up the property that you're living in. Is that part of the Trump's tax changes well, it, with the it, lower? Yeah, it was, it was a SECURE Act, um, I think, that impacted that But change. that was just recently, correct? It was. It was, okay. a, recent, it was a recent change in tax um, policy. And, um, and so that's, that's a problem. So you, have, you can borrow money inexpensively on your home today, but that doesn't mean you're going to get the write-off if you're investing in another property. Mm, okay. But if I can borrow today at, call it 3%, four um, percent um, and I can invest it in, in something else that I believe can make more than that well it's something worth considering gotcha. now let's say I have a property that's worth a million dollars today and I've got a two hundred thousand dollar mortgage okay I can take out another mortgage on that property a bigger mortgage to your point mm -hmm. take five hundred thousand dollar loan okay I can actually keep because I'm reducing my mortgage payments through the lower rate, I can keep my mortgage payments about the same, but now I've got $250,000 in the pocket. To put in another home, maybe. That or mortgage money, because it's a mortgage on my primary residence and mm -hmm. it's not a home equity loan, mm -hmm. that is tax deductible. Mm. Okay? So now, if I take, let's is say... That, that's a refi then. That's not it's getting not, a it's not, key it's lock. No, what, I'm refinancing what is it? my loan. That's right. Uh, and I'm just taking out a bigger loan. So what does that mean? That means if I have, just using simple terms, if I can take out a loan at 3% and I'm in a combined state and federal tax bracket, I have to call it 33%, 30, 25, 30, we'll use for ease of calculation 33%, then I'm borrowing money at 3%, which is I'm paying, mm -hmm. but I get the mortgage interest deduction and now I'm really netting out 2%. So my cost for borrowing that additional $250,000 is now about 2 2% after tax. So what can I do with money that I'm paying 2% on and earn more with? Mm -hmm. A lot of things. Yeah. That's like. the question. So that's what leverage mm. does. That's what leverage means. Leverage yes. means borrowing against the assets that I have. Mm -hmm and then redeploying that money and making more than what I'm paying. Even or even or even paying off more expensive debt. Like if you have a credit card that totally. you're paying 12% on, if you can get a mortgage at, at two yeah. something. I mean, so people were carrying credit card debt. You know, that's the one thing. Don't. <laughs> like that <laughs> is bad debt. debt that, there's nothing 15, good about 16, that. 16, 17, 18, 19%. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this, they call it revolving credit. It's insane. You know, pay it off. Get a lower loan, pay it off, even if it's at 7%, which is substantially higher than maybe where the market is, mm -hmm. you're reducing your debt service, as they say, your monthly bills substantially. So yeah, that's, a, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. A lot of people just don't think of it, though. And totally. even when it, when you lay out, like, you have your Nordstrom card, which is at 20, and then you have your Bank of America, which is at 12, like, you always just try to pay off the most expensive one first. If you can borrow money cheaper to pay off debt that's more expensive, you're always ahead. Like, these are how you chip away at it, oh, I guess. Absolutely, 100%. Okay. Well, and that's also part of the, the time value of money and um, 
compounding and how like how if you're if interest interest can work to your benefit and compounding and put money in your pocket even if it feels slowly it builds up quickly and the same thing it's the 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 hole in your pocket where all the money drains out of with all the interest expenses from credit cards and little insidious things like that that well yeah very easy to get into hard to get out remember we said that like you know from a budgeting standpoint and people are like oh god you know it's i'm I'm really I'm having it. I'm struggling now. I'm trying to pay my bills, and and I can't pay myself. And you know I can't invest in my IRA. I can't invest and put money away for my future. And I think that's really um, some people are not in the position where they can do that. But you have to do the best you can to put money to uh, away today for your future benefit. Because compounding and time are your biggest friends, and that's how the wealthy get wealthier. It happens in real estate. It happens in the stock market. Let's it do happens the in next companies. full show on it that. Is that is so all important. about mm-hmm. that, okay? And that's how you build wealth. And when you meet people, many of my clients, who are what we talked about before, the millionaire next door, they started buying the S&P 500. They started buying mutual funds and stocks in the market 20 years ago, and they put it away $5,000 a year or $10,000 a year, and before you know it, they have a quarter of a million dollars, a half a million dollars, a million dollars. Quick example, um, I have a friend, he was not a client. He had a little IRA account, which he started in 2008. He had $8,000 in the account, he um, didn't know what to do with it. He talked to somebody, and he had just bought, uh, I guess, an iPhone. It was the first, um, it was the first uh, version or one of the early versions. And he said, you know, I love this company. I think it's really cool. I'm just going to put it all in Apple stock. Okay, eight thousand oh, dollars in 2008. You think it's now worth about 150 thousand dollars? Dang. Okay. So, and that's where time, compounding, and growth. Listen, he got lucky. I think. To, to a large degree. I'm glad he didn't learn his Blackberry. Yeah. I would advise him putting <laughs> all your eggs in one basket. My Palm got, Pilot's awesome. He when, got that right. Clay, when my son was eight, he had a little bit of money. And we said, why don't you pick some stocks and invest? And so what he did is he, he said, well, here are my favorite companies. And then we had a stockbroker pick a couple for him. And the one the stockbroker picked are zero. They're gone. <laughs> and my yeah. son's favorite company, he said, who makes Spider-Man? Marvel. At that point, Marvel was like almost bankrupt. It was yeah. like a couple dollars a share. So he bought a whole bunch of Marvel. He also bought some Sony and whoever did Harry Potter um, <laughs> and, uh, and of course, Mar- and Disney. And then Marvel got purchased by Disney and they traded even. So now he's got thousands and thousands of dollars worth of Disney it. stock that cost him about 100 bucks. That's awesome. Did you did any of you watch that show Shit's Creek? Yes, I did. Where like this rich rich family as a joke bought this town and then they like they got built and stole all their money, so he ends up living in the town that he bought as a joke. (laughs) Yeah, like some of those little joke investments end up being pretty pretty darn good. They are funny. So, but but the other the other thing talking about rates because I know that really impacts obviously the real estate market and everything that that I do. Rates have a direct impact on virtually everything. They call that you know the cost of capital. That's what they call the discount rate. So, I mean, the stock market is a reflection of the discount rate. Um, real estate is a reflection of the cost of capital. Can uh, I can I ask a question then? Those are terms that I know are kind of out there. But if the stock market is going gangbusters, it's because money is cheap. So people are borrowing a lot to buy a lot. 
Well, I think there's a lot of drivers. It's not a real simple solution, but the impact of low rates on the stock market are several fold. But one of the primary influences is that the stock market trades, as I told you before, as I mentioned before, on future cash flows. So if Apple, as an example, is going to earn X amount of dollars a share in the future, that has greater value today because my opportunity to invest that same money today in another investment, an income producing investment like a bond or something like that, is much lower. So if I can invest in U.S. Treasury bonds, mm. which are considered to be the safest, and I'm getting 1% or 2% maybe if I get a 30-year bond, or I can buy a company, an established company, that has future earnings that are greater than that and are going to grow, then I'm going to give that greater value. And I'm going to start to trade up that stock because I'm going to try to balance that out, if you will, create some equilibrium to, between my opportunity to buy bonds or I can buy the future growth of that that company and that stock. Um, yeah, stock the balance between there's the the debt and equity and bonds and and company stock like that. that those are conversations we definitely will have. We'll dedicate a whole segment to because I think that's so interesting when you see behind that curtain. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the Tricks of the Rich podcast. Be sure to visit our website, tricksoftherich.com, where you can find recordings of the podcast and submit questions for our Q&A sessions and a list of events that we're having in your area so we can meet you in person and answer your personal questions. Thanks so much.